So good to be home. I was with our Smithfield location last Sunday. Had a great time worshiping with them and bringing the word, but I'm excited to be back with you today as we kind of wrap up a series that we've been calling Love God With All. And what we've been talking about is that... Uh, uh, that moment in time when Jesus was facing a lot of opposition and, uh, and some of those opposing him came to him and asked him a tough question. They thought it was a tough one. They racked their brains for a tough one and they came up with one that they thought would trick him for sure. They said, so if you had to sum up the whole thing, how would you do it? And understand, these are the guys who wrote 800 pages to explain the Ten Commandments. I mean, so, you know, they really uh, love to unpack things in great detail. And so they, they thought they'd trap Jesus for sure, but without hesitation, he said, oh man, the, the bottom line is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he went on to say, and your neighbor is yourself. Shut him up right there in the moment, right? As exciting as that is, and as, as neat as it is to know that Jesus could sum it up in that moment, the question remains, what exactly did he mean? I mean, what does it really mean to love God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your strength? So that's what we've been talking about for the last month or so, and we're wrapping up that series today. Next week, we start a whole new series that I'm really pumped about. We'll be talking about some of those expressions that Jesus made from the cross in the last three Sundays leading up to Easter. So uh, we're calling it Famous Last Words, and we'll be talking about some of those expressions of Jesus from the cross. I hope you plan to be with us uh, starting next Sunday, leading up to Easter Sunday, which is April 4th this year. Going to be an exciting time. We'll be having two services on Easter Sunday, and I hope you'll plan to be with us uh, for those celebrations and bring folks with you when you come. So let's get into it, all right? So what does it actually mean to love God with all to begin with, and then to break it down, what does it mean to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength? Though some of you have been with us, can you tell me what it was? The, 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 the one to love God with all your heart means what? It means that your passions are engaged, that you are motivated to love God. It's, it's your interest levels. That's what your heart is all about. How about your soul? That one's a little more complex. What does that mean? It's from the Greek word psyche, from which we get psychology or psych yourself up. It's the essence of, of not only who you are, but how you see yourself, your own sense of confidence, your own sense of self-worth. That's what it means to love God with all your soul. Last week we talked about, Pastor Andy did a great job of sharing with you, uh, what does it mean to love God with all your mind, your thoughts, and how do you filter your thoughts so as a way that honors God and loves God. And then today we're talking about strength, which is, of course, your abilities, your your, your resources. It's, it's the things that you, you do. Now, before we get into strength, which is what we're going to unpack today, I, I need to say one more thing to make sure we're clear about it. And, and that is that each one of these four are very important aspects of loving God with all, but they are all four essential parts of the whole. So what Jesus is talking about is not a take a best two out of three or three out of four kind of deal. They're all essential parts. I'm told that when you bake a cake, that, uh, that there are four primary ingredients in any cake that you bake. You tell me if it's true. I'm told that flour, sugar, eggs, and milk are the essential ingredients in a cake. Is that right? You can add a lot of other stuff to it, and we often do, but those are the four biggies. So uh, bottom line is you can't bake a cake with flour, sugar, and eggs, can you? Uh, it's not really a cake. You can bake a cake with flour, eggs, and milk, leave out the sugar, but who would want it? I mean, come on. But if you bake a cake with all four ingredients, 
Yum, invite me over, <laughs> okay? Because that's good stuff. So you gotta have all four of them in order for it to be complete. The same that's true in loving God and all four are essential parts of what it means to love the Lord with all. So let me help you to understand. Strength is again about what? It's about your resources, your abilities. It's about things that you do. But let's be honest, guys, we don't do anything very long unless we put our heart into it. Am I right? Unless you're motivated, you're passionate about it, you can do it for a little while, but it drops off. And we won't even attempt to do anything unless we have the confidence that we can at least give it a shot, right? So we got to put our heart in it. We got to put our soul in it. We think about what we do. Thoughts become actions that become direction in life. And so we think about it before we do it. So all three of those, heart, soul, and mind, feed into strength, which are the things that we do. So again, this is not a three out of four, best of the group kind of deal. This is all four of them, one feeding into the other. There is one significant difference though, before we get into it, and I'm going to jump in in a minute, I promise, but there's one significant difference between heart, soul, and mind and strength. You know what it is? It's, it's that heart, soul, and mind are kind of hard to measure. I mean, how do, you, how do you measure whether you've got your whole heart in it or your, your whole soul in it or your whole mind in it? How do you measure that? That's kind of hard to measure. When it gets to strength now, that is in, entirely measurable, isn't it? Because now you can actually look objectively at the things that you're doing with the resources that you have. Let me say that again in case you tune out with me. Strength is measurable because it is the measure of the things that you do with the resources that you have. So if you really want to know whether you're loving God with all your strength, we can give you measures to make a decision where you are in that journey. So that begs the question, and it's what I want to answer during our time today. What, 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 in, what is included in loving God with all our strength? When we talk about loving God with all our strength, what does that actually include? Cakes have four major ingredients. I believe life has three major ingredients, and it is time, it is treasures, is talents. So in the few minutes I've got with you today, I want to talk about those three ingredients. And I just want to ask you honestly before God, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, ask you to ask yourself, how am I doing? You know, I love God with all my heart and mm, warm and fuzzies. Love God with all my soul. I'm getting my identity in Christ. Love God with all my mind. I'm beginning to filter thoughts and ideas, bringing them captive to Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm doing okay in those areas, but how am I doing in this area of loving God with all my strength, specifically my time, my treasures, and my talents? To unpack that, I want to look at three different aspects of all three of them, okay? So I want to look at the reason why those three are the three that I think are important. I want to look at the routine, how do you do it, and then I want to give you the result. True to God's character, when you bless him, he multiplies and blesses you back. So we're going to look at the reason that time, treasures, and talent is a measure of whether you're loving God with all your strength. We're going to look at the routine of how you do that. And then we're going to look at the results that you can expect when you love God with all your strength. Is that, a, is it worth a few minutes of our time? Okay. God bless you. Thanks for staying. Well, I'll try not to keep you too long. We'll beat the Baptist to the buffet. I promise. No question about it. Here we go. Jump into it. Number one, loving God includes 
Loving God with all our strength includes investing my time with God. It includes investing my time with God. There are lots of reasons why that's true, but the main one is found in Psalm 25, verses four and five. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. So what is it that we're trying to glean from God? We're looking for direction. We're looking for hope. Anybody need direction and hope? Well, where do you go to get direction and hope? You spend time with the one who is the source of hope and can see the beginning from the end. That's what you do, is you spend time with the Lord. So, so here's the problem. You, you ever gotten so busy you forgot where you were going? Kim, tells, Kim will tell you right now that I'm the world's worst at that. We'll be driving along and all of a sudden I'll turn and she'll say, where are you going? Uh, I don't know. I just look like a good place to turn. Where are we going again? Uh, what address are we going to? I, I have called the office before and say, okay, I'm on my way to an appointment, but I forgot what appointment I'm going to. Can you look at my calendar and tell me what, what the address is or what it is I'm trying to do? I'm, I just, you know, my, my motto in driving is I don't know where I am and I don't know where I'm going, but I'm making really good time. <laughs> Well, that may be fun in driving because you can always go on an adventure, but it doesn't work in life if what you want is direction and hope. And so we've got to lean into time with God. And let's just be honest, guys. We live the most incredibly busy lives that we've ever experienced in all of history. It's just every moment is filled with something. If it's nothing but staring at our smartphones, trying to get a message from somebody else. I mean, it's just phenomenal how busy we are these days. And yet, if you want direction and you want hope, you got to figure out how to carve out some prime time with the one who gives both. I think there are three blocks of time. I'm going to say it quickly. We're in the routine now. Three blocks of time that we all should consider in our Christian experience. Number one, we ought to be giving large group celebration time to him. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 5, you should not stay away from church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. Do this even more as you see the day coming. And I realize as I read that passage of scripture, some of you are watching online, everything in you wants to be here, but for health reasons, you're watching online. God bless you. Thanks for being online. More and more people are coming back to church these days as we watch the pandemic numbers beginning to move down. And we're excited about that. But the bottom line is we need to be in community with one another. We need to be in corporate worship with one another. We need to be lifting the name of Jesus higher with one another. There's something happens in this, I call it God most high moment where we're in a group of people and we're all singing together or we're praying together or we're learning together that, that just elevates us into the presence of God. One of the most powerful experiences of my life and one of my favorite memories in life was standing in the gap several years ago when a million plus men went to the Washington Mall, went to D.C., and I'm standing on the mall right next to the Washington Monument, and we all broke into a mighty fortress is our God, a million men on the D.C. Mall, and just the hair standing up on the back of my neck and tears began to flow. Not because I'd never heard that song before and it's really good lyrics, it's because I was in the presence 
of a million men honoring God in our nation's capital. There's something that happens in large group celebrations that we need in terms of connecting with God. The second block of time is small group interactions. Small group interactions. You, you go to Acts chapter 2, which describes the early church that reached the known world in their lifetime. And one of the reasons is they got this right. Look at what verse 46 says. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's large groups. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so they had big celebrations, but they also had intimate settings where they interacted with one another. They, they, they ate together, they took communion together. They brought their sincere hearts together. Why is it so important? You ever tried to carry on a serious conversation in a big crowd? Or had a serious conversation with your spouse when your kids are trying to get your attention? I mean, there's times when you just got to get and a quieter space with a fewer number of people. You ever raised your hand while, uh, while I was preaching and said, Pastor, I got a question. I'm not sure I understood. Uh, and ERT took you out. I mean, have you ever? <laughs> For one of the first Sundays I ever came to the bridge several years ago, Pastor Farrell, who was our former pastor, uh, invited me to, to speak one Sunday morning. And uh, we were still over in the other sanctuary in those days. And, and I came in and sat down in the front row and the emergency response team who was kind of making sure that Farrell was, was safe, saw me come in and sit down next to him and the hackles came up on the back of his neck. Who's this guy sitting next to Pastor Farrell? And it came time for the message and, and Farrell stood up and he's on stage and he introduced me and I start moving toward the stage and the guy, he said, I almost took you out till Farrell said, yeah, he's supposed to be here. <laughs> Randall, where are you? Uh, <laughs> well, thank you for not taking me out. He's a big, strong dude, you know. Uh, but you can't, you know, where do you get those questions answered? Where do you go for that level of interaction? Large group is celebration, small group is more interaction, and then you also need a third group, which is one-on-one -on -one ministry, one-on-one -on -one intimacy. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Hear me, there's never been a human being in history more busy or accomplished more in three and a half years than Jesus Christ himself. And if he had time to get alone with the Father to pray, so do we. Why did he do it? Because he knew that the power to accomplish the mission for which God the Father put him on the planet required intimacy with the Father. He was able to say, I and the Father are one. So what's the result? Here's the payoff. You ready for the payoff? I, Jim, Jim, I don't know. Large group celebration, small group interaction, one-on-one -on -one time with God. That's a lot of time every week. I don't know if I got time for that. Well, let me tell you what the payoff is, what the result is. You get God's power to do what God put you on the planet to do. Look at John 15, 7. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Sound like a blank credit card to you? does to me. That's an incredible promise. Well, I don't know, Jim, I got a pretty big imagination. You mean I can ask for anything and it'll be given to me? We'll understand. In scripture, every promise has a premise tied to it. What's the premise tied to this one? What did he say? If you remain in me and I remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and I will give it to you. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine a farmer 
who's got his favorite farmhand there. And he says, okay, I got a job for you today. I need you to go down to the lower 40 acreage and I need you to make fence repairs. There's some, some, some cows that are getting out. There's a couple places where the fence is broke. I need you to go make those fence repairs. That's your job for the day. And as the field man gets ready to go, take on his task, uh, he says, well, what do I do if I need supplies? What is the farmer gonna say? I don't care whether you succeed or not. Do the best you can, figure it out. It's not what he's gonna say. What's he gonna say? If you need something, let me know and I'll make sure you got what you need. I've given you a job. I'm gonna give you everything you need in order to complete that job. That's what Jesus is saying. You stay in me and, and, and I'll stay in you and I'll make sure you understand what I put you on the planet to do. And anytime you need anything to accomplish what I put you there to do, I'll make sure you've got it. You will never be short-handed for the things that I've called you to do. Sound worth spending some time with him for? Is that a trick question? No. In fact, I'll be honest with you. Anytime I find myself feeling short-handed, short resources, guess where I go first? I ask myself how much time I've been spending with the master of the resources. That's where you start. If you're gonna love God with all your strength, you've gotta invest your time, I'm gonna say your best time with him. The second element of this loving God with all your strength includes entrusting my treasures to God. Entrusting my treasures to God. Of course, we're talking about finances and we don't talk a lot about that around here. Uh, we certainly don't browbeat anybody about giving around here uh, because quite frankly, people get really nervous when we start talking about money and it's a crazy thing that they do. But let me just be clear with you as your pastor, if I don't teach you what the word of God says about this, then I have failed you. And I don't really believe what the Bible says about it. I want you to have the blessings that come from loving God with all your strength as it relates to treasures and finances. So I'm gonna boldly tell you what the word of God says and then you decide what you wanna do with that. If I didn't teach you this truth, then I failed you as your pastor. And hear me, people who have settled the issue of loving God with all their strength have settled this issue. There's no question whether they're going to give, they are Givers. They've come to understand that giving is not a grim duty that they have to, to, to face. It's, it's an intelligent demonstration of their love of God and their trust in God. I love God with my strength, therefore I am a giver as he is a giver. I trust God to provide for me just like he promised he would. And so therefore I give. The question is why? Why would anybody give away part of what they earned. I mean, they worked hard and earned it, right? In the world would they do that? The Bible gives us three reasons. Just quickly, three reasons. Number one, uh, giving is a tangible act of worship. It's an act of, of worship. Yeah, you, you know what worship is? The, the old English word is worth-ship. Worship is an expression of value. Hear me, everybody worships something. Some people worship God, some people worship totem poles, everybody worships something. The only question is what do you value more than anything else? And giving, according to scripture, is a tangible expression of worthship. God is the highest value to me. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases it. The purpose of giving is so that God will have more money. 
What? Oh, that's not what it says. The purpose of tithing is so that the church can pay its bills. That's not it. What is it? To teach you always to put God, what's the word? First in your life. Let me make it simple. If I tell God, Kim, that I love her supremely, that she's the most important human being in my life, but I spend every dime I ever make on me, what message do I send her? That my words are hollow and empty. When I say, God, I love you with all, giving will be a part of my worship. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's a connection between our giving and our heart. The act of connecting ourselves to God comes from giving. And the more consistently I give, the more intimate my relationship with God becomes. Is that true? Let me just, let me ask it this way. And I don't want you to respond. I want you to sit real still because I don't want any outward response. But for those of you that have made the commitment to consistently give to God first, that, that you're going you're gonna to give some, save some, live within your means. You're going to give some, save some, live within your means. You're going to give first. Since you made that commitment, are you closer to God or further away? I'll let that answer, that question answer itself. The second reason that we give as an expression of loving God with all our strength is it's a tangible expression of thanksgiving. Psalm 50 verse 4 says, give an offering to show thanks to the Lord. Yeah, it's an expression of value, of worship, but it's also an expression of thanksgiving. One of the reasons that we give, quite frankly, is because we get to be a part of a church that we know is making a difference in the world. We know that when we put money in that digital thing or on the envelope at the stations at the back of the room or however you give consistently, when you give, you know that, that God is going to use this in amazing ways to help an awful lot of people. I asked the office this week for an update. Did you know that, that when churches, quite frankly, across the country are struggling whether they're going to survive or not, we water baptized 58 people during the pandemic? God's at work in this place. God is at work through this ministry. And I, I got to be honest with you, I pinch myself every now and then for the pleasure of knowing that I get to be a part of what he's doing here. I hope you're still doing that. And so when I give to the bridge, it's, it's giving to the Lord through the bridge, knowing that I get to be a part of something that he's doing in the world. You know, sometimes people do stuff for you and saying thank you just isn't enough. You want to do something to express your thanks. The third reason is the bottom line though. And that is that giving is a tangible demonstration of obedience. It's obedience. John 14, 15, if you love me, what did Jesus say? Keep my commands. That's what he said. And for, quite frankly, for many Christians, that's where giving begins. In all honesty, Kim was there before me when we first got married. She was appalled that I wasn't as consistent with our giving as she had been for many years in her life. She was trained well. I wasn't. I came to understand what the scriptures say about that, and we became consistent givers, tithers from that day to this. If for no other reason, just an act of obedience. So let me give you the two types of giving. We'll move on, okay? If you look at our tithing envelope or, or you look, go to the website and go to, to the link for giving, you'll see that there are two ways that we give around here. One is called tithes and offerings. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, that's actually Malachi, but you guys want it to be Malachi, so that's what I say. Uh, 
Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole, what's the word? tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is the place where the food is kept. So if this is where your soul is fed. This is where you bring the tithe. And, and the word tithe literally means 10%. That's what it means is 10%. And so the tithe is primarily used to take care of things around here, to pay for the building, to pay for the electricity, to, to make sure the staff has what they need, to buy equipment, to do all the stuff that we do. To, uh, to Sometimes we supplement missions uh, with tithe and offerings. The second area, of course, is for us, the giving life fund. The Bible calls it free will offerings, and that's beyond the tithe. And that goes to things like missions and benevolences and, and building funds and things like that. Giving that's beyond the tithe as the Holy Spirit leads. Leviticus chapter 22, uh, verse 18 says, if a person offers a spontaneous free will offering, it will only be acceptable to the Lord if it's a large enough amount. What? If it's what? without defect. Well, what on earth does that mean? In Old Testament times, of course, they, their offerings were animal sacrifices. And so what they're talking about is don't bring us your, your lambs that are diseased and are going to die anyway. Don't bring us your lambs that are not worthy for the market anyway. Bring us the best of your herd for this sacrifice. What he's talking about in New Testament terms is there are no hidden agendas in your gift. There's no ulterior motives for your gift. I will give this if you will do that. I will give this if you will do what I want you to do. That's not an acceptable free will offering to the Lord. You're giving simply because the Holy Spirit led you to give. You're doing what he's put in your heart. And let's be honest, guys, we are bombarded with opportunities to give. Every time you turn on television, every time you go to social media, everywhere you go, we are bombarded with opportunities, valid needs, every way, every which way you turn. Do your heads like this if you see that. It's just every way you turn, there's all kinds of needs. And the reality is that if you gave everything you had, you wouldn't meet all those needs. So what happens with free will offerings is you get, as you grow with the Lord, you begin to discern this is an area he wants me to get involved in. This is an area he wants me to pray that others will get involved in. And you begin to discern the areas that, are, that you're passionate about that God's called you to give to. For Kim and I, obviously those are things like uh, the Wayne Pregnancy Center because abortion is one of those heartbreaking realities of our world that just, I could start weeping right now if I let myself think about the price that we pay as a nation as a people because of that abortion industry missions we've been involved in missions all of our adult life and so we give to missions church planting is a passion of ours God's blessed us to plant a lot of churches and so those are free will offering areas that Kim and I get involved in you decide those things that work for you but the bottom line is that when you love God with all your strength you are a giver so what happens what's the result Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Pick it up with the second part of verse 10. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Stop right there. Just want you to hear that part of the verse. What's he saying? If you want to know whether I'm real, bring your tithe into the storehouse. You know, I'm convinced that that's the reason that Satan attacks at this point more clearly than any other point. 
because he knows that if you become a consistent giver, if you become a consistent tither, God will show up in ways that will blow you away and you'll look back on your life and say, wow, look what God did. And you will know that he's real. And Satan knows if he can keep you from giving to God, therefore you don't have that solid proof. You just heard what the preacher said, then he's got a foothold in your life. If you want to know that you know that you know that God exists, tithe and watch him bless beyond your imagination. Committing to love God, I got to move on. Committing to love God with all your strength is going to include what? You're investing your time with God. It's going to include entrusting your treasures to God. And then finally, it's going to include using your talents for God, using my talents for God. Why is this so important? Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You got the picture of that verse, right? Every one of us were handmade in our mother's womb. Psalm 139, he made us all uniquely. We all have unique fingerprints and heartbeats and eye prints and, and DNA. We're all made uniquely. He made us all on purpose with a purpose, regardless of the circumstance of your birth or your upbringing. God made you on purpose. He's got a purpose for you. You are his handiwork and he wants you to accomplish. He prepared in advance for you to accomplish those things. He created you on purpose. He gave you the gifts and talents and abilities and relationships and opportunities that you have so that you can fulfill that purpose. That's the reason he gave it to you. So here's what I want you to do. I don't just want you to think about through the, that through the lens of your own life and your own experience. I want you to put yourself in God's shoes for just a minute. Imagine that you are an inventor and you've invented a widget that has the potential to change the world. You're so proud of that thing, you can't hardly stand it. You want the world to know about this widget that's been born. You want everybody to know this widget can change the world. And so you finally get enough people interested to get some mass production going and you manage to get it out there so that millions upon millions of people around the world now have your gizmo, your widget, you have the potential to change the world, and then you'll go out looking for testimonies from people of how they used your widget to change the world, and you find out that the vast majority of those widgets are sitting on a shelf gathering dust. How do you feel as the inventor who poured your life's blood into creating that widget? You and I both know how you feel. You're brokenhearted, you're disappointed, you're frustrated, maybe even a little angry that they don't understand the power of what you've just made available to them. I wonder sometimes when our loving God looks at us and says, don't you understand the potential that I put in you when I made you? the potential to make a difference in this world, the potential to change everything in my power. Can't imagine how painful that must be when he sees us putting our talents on a shelf or using it simply to consume it all ourselves. So what's the routine on that one? There's actually two approaches to this one. The ideal 
best is when everybody discovers how they were made. Everybody discovers, we call it their niche, they, their, their natural abilities, their individual personality style, their, their charismatic gifts, their spiritual gifts, their heart, those passions and motivators that they have, their experience, which is of course their spiritual maturity. When they can discover their niche, when they say, oh, this is, this is my makeup. And, and, and when I know what my makeup is, what my niche profile is, it's going to point me in a direction to ministries that I can do because God's given me what I need to do it. That's the ideal is when all of us find our niche and everybody serves in their niche and we accomplish amazing kinds of things. That's the ideal. You can even go to our website, click on, on next steps, click on serving, and there's a way for you to do some tests and profiles and assessments and figure out what your niche profile is. You can go do that. And I got to be honest with you, I've been in a few settings uh, over the years when, when a whole group of people really got serious about that thing and everybody put their shoulder to the wheel and accomplished more than they ever dreamed that they could ac actually accomplish. We brought in a consultant one time in a previous church that I was in where we really had talked about this and people were really buying into this idea of niche. And the consultant came in and one of the things he, he measured across our church, he said 99% of your church's owners know what their niche is and they are serving regularly. That church got to 1,200 and I was the only full-time paid staffer we had. How? Well, near about worked me to death. But other than that, everybody had their shoulder to the same wheel, pushing in the same direction, carrying their part of the load. That's the ideal. If you haven't done your niche profile, go to the website, do your niche profile. Go to the test drive. That's part of it. Just go test drive and say, hey, I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to be doing, but give me some options and I'll try. Okay. I said there's two. The second is the uh, until the ideal is real, we use a second approach. And that is just simply ask, what's the greatest need? At home, I don't. Uh, sit down with Kim and say, okay, what's your niche and what's mine? And, and, and then when it comes time to wash the dishes, I don't say uh, washing dishes is not my spiritual gift. <laughs> time to take trash out, that's not my ministry. Right? That's, no. Why? Because as a family, there's some things that need to be done, whether we're particularly gifted at them or not. There's some things Kim's really good at and I'm not. And there's some things I'm good at that she's not. And so, yeah, by all means, let's settle those. The rest of them, we just put our shoulder to the wheel and push in the same direction. And so that's part of what test drive is all about is not just where do I fit, but it's what's the greatest need around here right now. And I'll tell you now, because of where we are as a church in this moment, uh, we, have a, we have a wonderful problem. It's called a success problem, but it's a problem nonetheless. And the problem is that more people are beginning to be comfortable to come back to our in-person services than volunteers are coming back to serve in those various roles. That's the reality of where we are as a church. And I'm thrilled to have that success problem, but it's a very real problem. We need to go back to two Sunday morning services. We're going to do it Easter Sunday. We want to do it beyond then, but the only way we can do that is to take care of our kids. Are our kids important? I heard a yes over here. Got a little... Are our kids important? I really want, I want you to hear yourself saying this. Are our kids important? Yeah. How important are they becomes the question. 
will we serve in kids' ministries? There's a card uh, on the chair beside you. I want you to get it in your hands because we're going to pray. And, uh, and if this isn't it, okay, great, find, that, find the place. But quite honestly, we need some of you, this church, your church family, your kids, my kids, my grandkids need more of us to step up and say, that may not be my ministry. I may not do it long-term. I may not be particularly gifted, but I can. And here's the greatest need. So I'm going to step up, get that card in your hand. Would you just hold it in your hand for just a second? Because I'm not going to try to convince you, talk you into, or manipulate you in any way, but I am going to pray. And I want us to pray together. Would you join me in that prayer? Father, thank you for the men and women sitting in this room right now who understand the importance of a family working together to accomplish what needs to be done. And thank you for the children that make up this amazing church. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to each one of us and show us our role in making sure that our children's lives are touched and needs are met. Well, thank you for the way you do that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Love for you to fill out a card, leave it at the at the back on your way out. Pastor Holly will be in touch with you. What's the result of all of this? Pastor, you just, you just called for some incredible commitments here. Like time, money, talents. You just called for some incredible commitments. What, what's the result of all of that? Why would I dedicate those critical parts of my life to the Lord? Jesus told us what would happen if we would. And it's found in John chapter 14, verse 30, uh, 12 and 13. I want you to read it together. It's on the screen. So let's read it out loud. One, two, three, go. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When Jesus was here on earth, he did amazing things, phenomenal things in three and a half years, but he was limited geographically by where he could be at any given moment. When he got back to the Father, anybody know what he did? He sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, no matter where we are. And he said, if we would cooperate with him, if we would be intimate with him, he would empower us to do greater things than he did. Not better quality by any stretch, but greater in the sense that we can be all over the planet at the same time through the power of the Holy Spirit. The needs in Wayne County, Johnston County, and beyond are phenomenal. Some of you are part of our online uh, location these days. You've never been to this brick and mortar building. Okay, you don't live in this area. Got it. There's ways for you to serve in the online location as well. Just go to your chat box and say, how can I serve? getting involved, giving our time, our talents, and our treasures as we work together accomplishes more than we dare to dream or think or ask. I got to close, but I'm going to say one more word and I'll, I'll hush, I promise. Anybody agree with me that we see the world getting wussa and wussa? We really have two options. We can hunker down and hide till Jesus gets here. Because he said, this is what's going to happen in the last days. These are the, th the things you're seeing are the things that he said would happen in the last days. We can hunker down and hide till he gets here. 
or we can take his command to occupy till he comes. It's a military term that says take territory. We can step up and make a difference. The only reason that Jesus hasn't come, we're gonna talk about this in the series after Easter, but the only reason that Jesus hasn't come is because the Father is being patient because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He's giving us a chance to reach them. How do you do that? Well, you start by loving him with all your heart, loving him with all your soul, your being loving him with all your mind, your thoughts, loving him with all your strength, your time, your treasures, your talents. And you watch God take all of that, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God and make a difference in this world. I wanna give my one and only life to that. I want you to, too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men and women, both in the room and online. We thank you for their lives, for the journey that they're on to come to that place of loving you completely with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Wherever they are in that journey right now, Lord, I pray that you just, just shower your love on them. Let them know you love them just the way they are we're regardless of where they are in the journey. You aren't concerned with how far they've come on the journey. What you're concerned about is the direction of their feet, their next step. Would you challenge each one of us by your power and your love and your grace to take a step toward you, loving you with all our strength, time, treasures, and talents. In Jesus' name.